Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Luke 14, we are talking about what? Living the life of a disciple. You and I can live the life of a disciple of Jesus, meaning that we can be trained by him through the word and become like him. So as we've already talked about in Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus made a statement, if anyone desires to come after me, that phrase in the Greek literally says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, those are the four aspects or what we see of what is needed of attributes to become a disciple. In the characteristics of what is a disciple, we see those things lived out. We th see those things proven through what the Bible teaches a disciple is. So let me walk through those four things of Matthew 16, 24 with you, first of all, to talk about the very things necessary to become a disciple. One, he said, if anybody desires... To be my disciple, come after me. What do I got to have? A desire to be like Jesus. If you don't have a desire to be like Jesus, there's no way that you're going to do the rest of what he said it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. But if I have that desire, see that desire is what pushes me beyond the flesh when my flesh doesn't want to do these things. That desire is what presses me into the new man to see that new man begin to dominate my life. But if I don't have that desire, I'm not going to obviously walk out what a disciple can do. So if I have that desire, second thing he said to do, you got to deny self. Now that's not the new you. That's not the new man on the inside. When you got born again, aren't you glad you became a new creation? Amen. So I don't want to deny that guy, the real self. What's he saying? You got to deny the old self nature, the old fleshly self nature. Paul said he died to that guy daily. Every day. So I have to deny that old self-nature. And then three, he said to do what? Take up your cross. So what you're doing is you're laying down one life and you're picking up another. So I'm just, I'm just, we're just reviewing what we've already gone over. Just referring to Matthew 16, 24 for a minute. So this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. I got to now do what? Take up my cross, which is doing what? Taking up the will of God, living out what's now in me of a new life that God has for me. We're actually going to probably talk about that more tonight. And then finally, he said, and follow me. Now that last word there, follow me, the fourth thing means to be what? Become my companion. You couldn't follow him without becoming his companion, going hanging out with him, going where he went. So these are the four aspects of what it takes to be a disciple. One, I got a desire to be like him. If I have that desire, anybody in this room got that desire? Two, I got to do what? Deny that old fleshly self nature. If I allow the old fleshly self nature to rule, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to live out the new nature. I'm not going to live out the life Jesus has for me. But if I deny that old self-nature, then the third thing i got to do is do what? Take up the new nature. Take up the will of God. How is taking up your cross doing the will of God? Because that was the will of God for Jesus' life. As we're going to see again today. And as we walk out that new nature, then we also do so by doing what? Number four, becoming his companion. That he is somebody we fellowship how often? Every day. We need to fellowship with him every day. So I've already given you characteristic number one of a disciple. Because we're talking about what we see of what is a characteristic of a disciple. Anybody remember where that was? John 8, 31 and 32. This is all review right now. John 8, 31 and 32. He said, if Jesus said it. These are absolutes in the Bible. They're not even debatable. They're not even questionable. He said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. What if you don't abide in the word? You're not his disciples. It's that simple. If you abide in my word, Jesus said it. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. He goes on to say in verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now, the reason that's important is because that explains to you about abiding in the word. Knowing the truth is by application and living it out. Knowing it's not in the head. Knowing it's knowing it by application. You've now put it into practice. You can sit in a classroom and have somebody teach you all day long about how to do something. But until you actually go put your hands to it and do it, you don't, you, you don't really know it yet. Right. <clears throat> you haven't proven it yet. But when you go do it, now you've proven it. 
And now that you've proven it in the context of the word, what happens? The truth that you are now proving in your life is doing what? It's freeing you. It's freeing you from Satan. It's freeing you from that old life. It's freeing you from that old nature, as well as the works of Satan himself. That's a good thing. Then you and I have to understand, again, according to the first attribute of a disciple, what do we got to do? Abide in the word, which means that you obviously live in that word, and that word then does what? Comes alive in you. It comes alive in you. The second attribute we looked at is found here in verse 26 of Luke 14. If anyone comes to me, well, you're going too fast. Go back, get the other messages. I'm just reviewing. We're going to focus on another thing today. I'm just going through these with you real quick. 1426, if anyone comes to me, Jesus said, and does not what? Hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, his own life also. What can he not be? So again, it's not a, it's not a debatable issue. It's not a debatable issue. So hate here is a bad translation of the word, of course. God does not tell us to hate people. And Matthew actually words it more correctly in the English, uh, defi- uh, d- English translations of the definition in the Greek. It means to love less. He said, th- this way Matthew said it. You can't love your father, your mother, brother, sister, wife, children, or your own life. You can't love that more than you love me. Now notice here he's not dealing with stuff. He's dealing with people. He's dealing with relationships. So what's number two? On the characteristic of a disciple, Jesus is my first love. Jesus is my first love. I don't love people more than I love Jesus because if I love people more than I love Jesus, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to become those people's disciples, not Jesus's. Jesus said it in multiple ways, using similar phrases. He said, guess what? You can't serve two masters because you'll either love the one and hate the other or you'll at least be loyal to one and deny the other. If I'm loyal to my spouse over Jesus, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to deny Jesus. If I'm loyal to my, to my kids over Jesus, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to deny Jesus. What Jesus wants for my life doesn't matter. My kids come first. <clears throat> Think about this. You ready for this one? That's three of you. You ready for this one? How many people who have kids determine where they go to church? In the body of Christ, how many people who have kids determine where they go to church? Does anybody know? I'll say it again. Let me slow down. I guess you're not hearing my question. How many people in the context of the body of Christ that have kids determine where they go to church? How many people obviously determine where they go to church by they having kids? What's the determining factor where they go if they have kids? Where their kids want to go. They base it on where their kids want to go. 80% now. We're up to 80% of those in the body of Christ that have children determine where they go to church based on where their kids want to go. There's all kinds of parents that say, well, you know, the pastor's not that great, the teaching's not that great, but my kids love it. And so they're learning lots of stuff. Let me help you. They're not responsible for teaching your kids the things of God. You are. The church should be reaffirming. But the Bible's not going to hold the church accountable for all those people in kids' church. It's going to hold them accountable for what they taught, but I'm just telling you, when it comes to raising up your children the way they should go, it doesn't say the church is supposed to do that. It says the parent is. Right? Thank God for kids' church. But I'm telling you, what determines where you go to church is not where your kids want to go. So let's put that analogy over to what they eat. (laughs) I'm going to go to church. Excuse me. I'm going to go eat every day wherever my kids want to go eat. You better love Chuck E. Cheese. You better love McDonald's. You better love Taco Bell. You better love all these fast food places that do nothing but give your kids a bunch of junk. I'm already preaching better than you, amen. And will you, that's, I'm going to preach anyway, whether you amen me or not. But it's the truth. So if I allow my kids to decide what they eat, I don't know about you, but growing up in my mom and dad's house, you know, there are certain things as a kid you're just not going to like, right? I mean, there are some things. But in my mom and dad's house, guess what? When my mom made dinner and set it before you, you know what you were told? You eat it or you go hungry. That's, right. that's what you get today. And thankfully, my parents actually took care of us by feeding us fairly well. They did not feed us junk all the time. They fed us things we knew we needed. We had a vegetable garden out back. My mom would harvest those vegetables out of the garden and feed us those vegetables along with meats and potatoes and all that stuff. But I'm here to tell you, folks, if you're going to determine where you go to church based on where your kids want to go, find a verse for that. Find a verse for that. You know what's more important? That I'm going where God has me to be. So that I can be raised up in the things of God and do what? Impart that to my children. 
because even if we get your kids once a week, we only have them really in that class for about an hour. You have them how many more hours during the week? <laughs> so you got to understand, folks, you cannot put your family before Jesus. I said you can't put your family before Jesus, not even your own life. Not even your own life. So we've already touched on this, but again, number 26 is, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, how do I know I'm a disciple of Jesus? Jesus is my first love. He's my first love, not other people. And the great part about that is, if Jesus is my first love, guess what? I'm going to love my kids better. I'm going to love my spouse better. I'm going to love people better. He is love. It doesn't mean you're not going to love them. You're just not going to love them above God. Verse 27, we're going on to number three today. That was all review, but let's go on to number three today. Verse 27, notice this. And whoever does not bear his cross. So this is what he stated, of course, in those four things we've talked about from Matthew 16, 24. So now we're going to learn what exactly he meant here. Whoever does not bear his cross, underline that. Not Jesus' cross. Your own. Whoever does not bear his cross and therefore do what? Come after me. Again, cannot be what? Cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm going to prove this to you as we do always from the scriptures. Write it down. This is number three. These are characteristics of a disciple. What's the third one? A disciple lives to fulfill the will of the Father. A disciple lives his life or her life to fulfill the will of the Father. What did Jesus come in this context of the earth to do? Go to that cross. What was he doing by going to that cross? Fulfilling the will of the Father. He was sent by the Father to go to that cross to die for me and you, bear our sin, bear the punishment our sin deserved. He was carrying out God's plan. That's why when arrested, he said nothing. That's why he could have easily called for a legion of angels to come get him and they'd have come and removed him from that cross. They would have stopped it from ever happening. But he was not going to say anything. Why? Because going to that cross was what? A fulfillment of the Father's will. Taking up your cross means you're now doing what? Fulfilling the Father's will. And fulfilling the Father's will means you and I, again, are learning about this new life we have within us. We're laying down that old life, right? And we're now taking up the new life that resides within us. But let me just show you that this is what it's referring to. Go with me to John chapter 6, and I'll show you a direct example in Jesus' life. John chapter 6, an area of scripture that a lot of people may not equate with this, but it's very clear here. John chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me. In the sixth chapter of John's gospel, he begins to talk to a multitude of people that are there about dying. But initially he says it in a way that totally messes up their thinking. Because he's telling them that you're going to have to eat this body of mine and drink this blood if you want to come into the kingdom. Now, he later goes on and says, in context to what he said there, which we're not going to get into all that, he later goes on and says, the words I speak to you, they are spirit, but they are also life. So he meant what? I'm talking spiritually here. I'm not telling you to eat my physical body. I'm not telling you to drink my physical blood. I'm telling you that I'm speaking words of the context of the spirit to you. Spiritually speaking, you have to partake of my body and drink of my blood. How do you do that? You acknowledge the sacrifice. That Jesus made for you. And you receive that sacrifice by faith. And when you do, you enter into the kingdom. We know that now, of course. But understandably, that was a little confusing for a lot of these disciples. But I'm going to show you. He's referring in talking about eating of his body and drinking of his blood. He's referring about his death. He's referring about the very fact he's fulfilling the will of God going to the cross for me and you. Notice this, in John chapter 38, John chapter 6, excuse me, verse 38, watch this. I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. Listen, not to do my own will. Underline that. Jesus could have carried out his own will, but he didn't. I said he didn't. Now, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, what does that tell me? I ain't going to carry out my own will. Right? If I'm a disciple of Jesus, if Jesus, if I'm his disciple, I become like my teacher. Right? And if my teacher did not do his own will, guess what I'm not to do? My own will. What I think is context, what is relationship to what I think I should do with my life or how I should live my life out. No, I shouldn't do that. I need to find out what God wants. I need to find out about the new man on the inside. Right? 
Yes, no, maybe. This person hurt me so bad, there's no way I could forgive them. That's your old nature. Within you is the love of God. You can choose to deny that old nature and choose to forgive them as the Bible says and take up God's will. Right? Now imagine yourself knowing you're going to face crucifixion on a cross. Anybody have any idea how painful that is? What about the scourging that take place, took place before he ever got to that? I mean, scourged to the point of death. So think about this. Knowing he's going to face all of that, right? What does he say? I'm going to walk through it. Why? Because that's the will of the Father. Do you think that was easy? But you know what he chose to do? Obey the Father. And obeying the Father, guess what you and I got? A resurrected Savior three days later. There would have been no resurrected Savior without the willingness to go through God's will of the pain and suffering he endured. To carry out God's will, I'm going to tell you right now, if you had not figured it out. To carry out God's will, you're probably not going to like this part of my sermon. To carry out God's will, you're going to have to go through suffering. Not like on a cross and be crucified. You're going to have to go through what kind of suffering? You're going to have to tell your flesh to shut up. You're going to have to tell your flesh, I'm going to church. I'm not sleeping in today. I'm going to get in the Word today, fellowship of my God. I'm not going to just feed you the television today. I want to go fellowship with my God. I want to get to know my God. But if you let your flesh rule you, you won't get in the Word. Your flesh, there's nothing in your flesh that wants to know God. The Bible says the flesh is opposed enmity against God. But your heart, your spirit, man, the, new, the real you wants to. Read it again. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we're his disciple, and I'm taking up my cross now. What does that mean? I'm not here to do my own will. I'm not here to hold unforgiveness towards others. I'm not here to continue to live the way I lived as a carnal, fleshly, fallen sinner. I now want to live close to Jesus, new relationship with him, so I'm now going to live in the way that he wants me to. I had a different plan for my life. It was to be a world champion bull rider. God had a plan for my life to be a pastor. I had to be willing to lay down what I wanted That's right. to take up God's will. That's right. Thank you, Lord. you still here? Yes. So again, he said, I didn't come down to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Say, so I got to do the same thing. <laughs> if you want to be what? A disciple of Jesus. This is taking up your cross. 39, this is the will of the Father. So now he defines what the will of the Father for him was. This is the will of Father who sent me. Notice this, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 40, and this is the will of him, the Father, who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have what? Everlasting life. And then I will do what? Raise him up. In the last day. Now, how's he going to accomplish that? <clears throat> how's he going to accomplish that? How's he going to accomplish walking out the will of the Father to bring people into the kingdom? He's going to have to die. He's going to have to go to the cross. How do we know? Drop down a little further in the chapter to verse 47. I don't have time to read it all. You can read it later. Verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has what? Notice verse 48. I am what? Tell me out loud. I'm the bread of life. So this is what he's going to refer to about eating of his flesh, drinking of his blood, because he is that bread of life. Notice verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they're dead. 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, which is who? Himself. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not what? Not die. 51. I am the living bread. How much clearer can you get? I am the living bread. Watch, which came down from heaven. Go back up to verse 39. Not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. Verse 51. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. How is he going to give his flesh for the life of the world? He's going to be crucified. He's going to go to that cross. So what was the will of the Father? Go to the cross. 
So he talks about previously before those verses we just read that I came to do the will of the Father. Now he's starting to tell them what the will of the Father is. For you to enter into this kingdom, you got to partake of this living bread of which I am. I, the living bread, am going to give my flesh for you. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to yield my life up on that cross and die in your place. And as he's doing that, what's he doing? Fulfilling the will of the Father. So you and I to take up our cross means we, do, we now do what? Same thing. We are now to fulfill the will of the Father in our life. So how do we figure this out, Pastor? That's a good question. Let's go to Colossians. Let's go camp out here for a while in the book of Colossians. There's two primary writings from Paul through the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ that refer to this. We touched on one the other day in Ephesians. We're going to come now to the, to the writing of uh, Colossians where he deals, deal, deals with this uh, same truth here. Colossians chapter 3. And that's why it's cool to see the comparison between Ephesians and Colossians. He's saying pretty much the same thing. Here he kind of goes into some further detail. Colossians chapter 3. So what are we talking about today? Characteristic number 3 of a disciple is to do what? To fulfill the will of the Father. Say it, I need to fulfill the will of the Father if I'm going to be a disciple. How do you fulfill the will of the Father? Let me give you a heads up. Let me just give you an advance notice. Let me give you some help ahead of time. How do you fulfill the will of the Father? You ready? You ready? You ready? You put on the new man. So here's where religion misses it. Man-made religion. Man-made religion tells you, oh, you got to change all these things about your life so that you can be a good person and live for God. Let me help you. All you're doing is working on the outward man. But that's not what the Bible teaches according to the scriptures. To put on the new man, I got to do what? I got to actually recognize that new man. I got to know who he is. And I got to start giving him dominance in my life. So to fulfill the will of the Father, let me help you. If you walk in the new man that's on the inside of you, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fulfill the will of the Father. Because you're allowing your spirit now to dominate. You're now allowing your spirit to rule. When your spirit dominates, guess what the very fruit of your new human spirit is? I can see some of you don't know. Guess what the very first fruit of your new human spirit is? Love. What if you let the spirit dominate in your marriage? What if you let the spirit dominate at your workplace? What if you let your spirit dominate at the, in the long line at the marketplace, the grocery store? What if you let your spirit dominate while you're driving down the road dealing with a bunch of bad traffic? You understand that we don't understand the fact that if we understood the power of our words to the degree that we really can walk in the benefit of what our words can do, God's not going to release to you total power that whatever you say is going to happen. Because if he did, you'd have killed a lot of people by now. (laughs) Maybe even yourself. Right? And I'm here to tell you, folks, that the more you allow the new man to come out, the more you walk in the will of God. How do I take up the will of the Father? How do I walk in the will of the Father? You walk in the nature of the new man. Jesus himself came to this earth obviously as God, so he didn't have a fallen nature. So walking as God, he's clearly going to fulfill the will of God. You and I walking in that new nature do the same thing. Can I get a better amen? Say, I got to walk in. Let me, let me back up. Let me reword it according to the Bible. I got to put on the new man. So this again is what we talked about, about the four aspects of a disciple. Now these are the characteristics we're seeing in those things. I have to put off the old man to put on the new. Right? Colossians 3 verse 1. If then, so not everybody's going to do this. If then means there's something you got to do. You listening? If then you were raised with Christ, notice this, what do you got to do? Seek those things which are what? Above. Above. Notice this, where Christ is what? Say it out loud, please. Well, Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Oh, man, I want to take some time to focus on this for a few minutes, and I wish I could do it better justice, but I want to get get this across to you. What he's saying here is, let's talk about the first phrase. If then you were raised with Christ. How do you get raised with Christ? Born again. Anybody here raised with Christ? Raise your hand if you know it. Let me see it. So I know for sure you've been raised with Christ. So this is talking to you. Say, God's talking to me. 
God's word is God talking to us. God's saying, if then you were raised with Christ, what should you now be doing? What should you now be doing? Seeking those things which are above. Listen, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now that's important. He didn't just say seek the things above. Listening? He didn't say because you've been raised up, just seek the things above. No. He said seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Why does he add that phrase? Why does he put that phrase in there? Because he's wanting you to see the new you. The context of what he's saying here is twofold. One, if you've been raised with Christ, seeking those things above is, guess what? Getting a whole new view on life. Whole new view. I'm not supposed to see life like a sinner anymore. I'm not supposed to look at life like a sinner anymore. Why? You're not one. I love people who want to always challenge me on this statement. I'm an old sinner saved by grace. Can't be both. Can't be both. If you're an old sinner, the Holy Spirit couldn't live in you. You listening? God's presence can't reside in unity with something that's of sin. So you can't be an old sinner saved by grace. The problem is you think you're an old sinner because you're flesh conscious. You're not spirit conscious. You're a spirit. You're not flesh. You're spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Well, guess what? The Bible says your spirit is one spirit with the Lord. How in the world can you be an old sinner and be one spirit with the Lord? You can't. Impossible. If you're one spirit with the Lord and you're an old sinner, evidently Jesus is still an old sinner. He never was one. Never. Can I get a better amen? amen? So why is he stating here, I got to get a new view on life, and that view comes from where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Because he's talking about where you're now seated in Christ. Yeah. Ephesians talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. It, it, we won't get to this morning. We might pick it up tonight. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that you died with Christ. If you were born again, you died with him. Right? But you were then also what? Raised up with him. And seated where? At the right hand of the Father. Meaning what? I'm not who I used to be. No, my spirit's here, but my spirit is so right with God. God looks at it as if I was sitting there. At the right hand of Jesus. Next to the Father. He's wanting me to see the new me. If I'll start getting a view of the new me and the one I'm seated next to, I'll start carrying out the will of God. Because I'll find out I'm really, I'm really good on the inside. I'm really righteous on the inside. I'm really holy on the inside. You listening? Yeah. That's who you are. See, Christianity talks down to you like you're still a sinner. No, you're not. You're the righteousness of God. Amen. You've been justified by, all, by, by the blood of Jesus from all sin. Yes, I have. Verse 2. Again, he brings it up a second time. Set your mind. Seek those things, verse 1. Set your mind. On what? Things above. Not what? Things on the earth. So again, referring back to the statement in the first verse, what's he saying? Stop viewing yourself from a position of a human on the planet. Start viewing yourself for who you are, a new being, a new creation, new spiritual being, made in the image and likeness of God, knowing you are so, because I recognize you now seated next to me. Can I put it another way? You're in the world, but you're not of it. Amen. Amen. I'll give you a Barclay quote. You ready? It's from the Bible, actually. You're not a mere human. The moment you get born again, you're no longer a mere human. Our guys in our last series, Dr. Sumrall, told a man over a year and a half, we went through a series to help you understand that before you actually got born again, once you sin, you're incomplete. Because your spirit dies. You still have a soul. Mind, will, and emotions, you live in a body, but your spirit's dead. You're spiritually dead. And therefore, your spirit is not really governing you. Your soul is. But when you get born again, your spirit comes alive. Amen. Man, brand new, made brand new. Amen. You're now what? A total man. Amen. You're back to a place of functioning as a total man. But you're not going to do that if you don't get a different view of your life. You can't look at yourself like you did before you got born again. You got to start looking at yourself through the eyes of God seated next to Jesus. Amen. 
He's going to show you this. So you got to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So what do you set? Here's my question. What are you setting your mind on today? What's your mind set on? What are, you, what are you looking at day in and day out? What are you focusing your attention on day in and day out? If you keep looking and focusing on all the stuff of the world day in and day out, you're never going to rise up to this new man. You're never going to live like a disciple of Jesus. Because you're not going to know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, guess what you can't do? You can't walk in what you don't know you have. Deal Moody had a homes for the, for the homeless in a town that he actually had a church. He used to go visit these people in the homeless area that they had these homes. And he actually goes into this one little home where there was a little older lady, a little uh, widow lady living there by herself. And he's talking to her and they get to visit. I've shared this story many times. It's borne out. You can prove it it's all over the internet. Truth was proven through his uh, ministry. People knew about it. And as he's talking to her, he notices this picture uh, frame on the wall and a document in it. And he walks over and he starts looking at it. He said, uh, where did you get this? She said, well, that came from the gentleman that I used to work for. When he passed away and died, I was like a family member. I took care of him. I was, his, I was a servant in his home, but I was his only servant. And so I took care of him for years and years and years. But when he died, I had no place to live anymore. And so that's how I wound up on the street. And thankful to y'all, I was able to come into the homes here. And he said, do you know what this is? She said, oh, I can't read. I have no idea. It's just precious to me because it was given to me. Actually, I know from his family that knew about or somebody that knew him, it was given to me as something he wanted me to have. And so it's just precious to me because it reminds me of all those years that I worked with him and served him. And he said, can I take this? Oh, I don't want to lose that. It's very precious to me. No, no, no. I promise I'll bring it back. I just need to take it for a couple of days. Okay. So he did. He comes back. He said, do you have any idea what's, what this states here on this document? No. He said, you're one very wealthy lady. Why wasn't she living like a wealthy lady? She didn't know it. Why are Christians not living like disciples? They don't know who they are. They won't take time to set their mind on the new man. They're too busy with their mind set on the world. And the things that will keep them from ever walking in the light of who they are. That's great. He said, ma'am, he said, this is a documentation of a will. You, you were placed in this man's will. He gave, he, you, have a home, you have a home waiting for you. A beautiful home. Palatial home. He set you up. He has a home set up for you. A bank account. All this money in this bank account. All the money you'd ever need to live for the rest of your life. And here you are living in this little squalor of a home that we could provide for you. Not knowing you're a very, very wealthy woman. And yet here she was living far below her privileges. You want to know why? Because she didn't know who she was. You want to know why most Christians are living far below where they could live as a disciple? I'll tell you why. Because they don't have the time or the effort that it takes to get their mind off of themselves and all their life and get it focused on the things of God and find out who they are. This is taking up the will of the Father. You'll never, listen to me, you will never take up the will of the Father for your life without knowing who you are. It won't happen. Your flesh will stop you every single step of the way that you try to rise up into who God created you to be. Your flesh will counter that and say, no, you're really not that person. No, I ha- look what you did yesterday. Look what you said the other day. Look how you've lived your life. Look what you've done. Well, that had all to do with the flesh. And the devil loves it because he's like, yeah, man, I'm just going to keep you ignorant and stupid. And I'm going to keep you focused on television, social media, internet, all these bad friends, never going to church, never spending time with me in the word. So that way, never spending time with God in the word, never spending time. So that way you're ignorant of who you are. And as long as you stay ignorant of who you are, like she was, I can keep you living in a place under my control. Instead of walking out the will of God for your life. You'll never walk out the will of God for your life without changing your mindset. It won't happen. You got to you set your mind on what? The person I've now become. Verse 3, watch this. You died. Tell your neighbor, you're a dead man walking. Yeah, that, that old spirit man died. He's gone. If you're born again, if you're in Christ, you died. And your life is now what? Hidden with Christ in God. Meaning what? Satan can't take that life from you. 
You can relinquish it, but he can't take it from you. Are you still with me today? You're on shouting ground. You ought to be get excited about this. For when Christ, who is our life, appears, when he comes back, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, you're going to be in the same state he's then in. What do you mean in glory? He's in a glorified body. Guess what you're going to be? In a glorified body. Five, but until that happens, notice this. Therefore, because you have that set before you, guess what you need to do? Put to death your members. Put to death your members, your old fleshly nature, which are on the earth, which include what? Fornication, uncleanness. Passion here means wrongful, uh, context of wrongful passions, wrongful things you are wanting to have in your life, evil desire, wrong thoughts, and covetousness, which is idolatry, always wanting something else to make you happy. Six, because of these things, I would touch on that a little further, but you know, man, I'll tell you what, I'm never going to find any peace or joy until I get on my next vacation. Oh, well, you're still living carnal then. I can't find a place, nothing wrong with vacations, good to take some. I can't find a place where Paul went on vacation, but I also can't find, therefore, Paul not walking in peace. I I see Paul walking in great peace in the midst of heavy persecution. You know why? Knew who he was. I said he knew who he was. Verse 6, because of these things, all the aspects of the carnal nature, because of these things, the wrath of God, the punishment of God, is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Why are Christians still living in them? They don't know who they are. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off what? All these. How many would like to get rid of some of this stuff? Anger, wrath, malice, uh, malice, excuse me, malice is slandering, slandering others, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Well, see what's wrong with cussing. The Bible said that's not your new nature. That's not how you live. I like to cuss. Then don't live as a disciple. Just live as a human and live far below your privileges. Live in your little squalor of a holler. Amen. And not walk in the benefit of what God has for you. Any good amens today? Nine, do not lie to one another. Since you've done what? Oh, oh. Since you've put off the old man with his deeds. But how do you do that? Verse 10, and you've put on the new man. How do we do it? Underline it. Who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him, Jesus God Almighty, who created what? Us. How do I put on the new man? I've got to be renewed in the knowledge. I've got to be renewed in knowledge according to the the image of God who created me. I'm now in that same image. (coughs) Spend no time with God. Spend no time living in the New Testament, fellowshipping with God. You're not going to learn about that new image. Ditch church. You're not going to learn about that new image. I understand. You can go to some other churches. You might not still learn about that new image. (laughs) Teach you about some kind of religious rigmarole. Verse 11. Notice, this is powerful. You and I are are walking in this new man by renewed knowledge where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, because Christ is what? Christ is all and in all. Meaning what? It don't matter your past. It don't matter your background. It don't matter your descendancy in the natural. It has nothing to do with your spirit, man. Nothing. Nothing. Don't get mad at me. I got Indian blood in me, right? I mean, Native Americans who get mad about stuff in America are seeing themselves as carnal. Thank you for your amends about this. Black people who get all upset about people saying things against them are, are focused on their carnal person, their carnal being. They're not thinking about their spirit, man. There's no black or white in God. You listening? He just told you. He just referred to all different ethnicities. That has nothing to do with who you are, not when you get born again. No, Christ is everything, and guess what? He's in all of you. Twelve. Therefore, as the elect of God, what are you? You should underline that. You should remind yourself all the time. Therefore, as the elect of God, watch this, holy and beloved. Underline that, please. When are you going to get holy and beloved? Already are. This isn't referring to something you're going to do. This is referring to your spirit man who's already this very person. 
You're already holy. If your spirit wasn't holy set apart to God again, the Holy Spirit could not live in you. He's the Holy Spirit. He cannot live in another spirit if it was not a holy place. Say, already I'm holy. Guess what else you are? You're already beloved. What's that mean? God has already proven his love to you. Sure wish God loved me. Are you kidding me? You wish God loved you? I'm going to tell you why you're saying that. Why would somebody say who's born again, I don't know why God doesn't love me. I sure wish God loved me. Why would they say that, church? Let me help you. They've not put on the new man. They don't, they're not looking at all the new person on the inside. Their spirit man. What are they looking at? Their little flesh. Their carnal nature. The stuff that goes on on the outside. The stuff that happens on the outside doesn't have anything to do with whether God loves you or not. The greatest proof you have of God's love is two arms stretched out on a cross that didn't deserve to go there. There's no greater love proven as to how much God loves us. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. All people know John 3.16, but they don't live it. Why? Because they don't know who they are. Well, I'm not beloved of God. He said you are. Are you going to believe yourself or are you going to believe God? Some of you need to quit arguing with God. Because some people argue with God. Well, I still see I can be beloved. God said you're beloved. You're arguing with him. You're telling the Father, the God of the universe, well, I just don't believe you because I don't feel that way. It has nothing to do with how you feel. Has to do with who you are. Come on, somebody. Watch this. Holy and beloved. What are we supposed to do now? Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, 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 bearing with one another. You sound like a broken record, Pastor. Bearing with one another, bearing with one another, bearing with one another. You know the problem a lot of Christians they they don't bear with one another. Well, they mistreat me. You mistreated Jesus. You caused him to die. We all did. Bearing with one another and doing what? Forgiving one another. Well, I've forgiven them. Man, I've already forgiven them again and again and again and again. Okay, so Peter brought that up. How many times in a day, Jesus, do we have to forgive somebody? Try 490, son. That's what he said. Well, if I get to 491, I don't have to forgive. That's not the point. The point is, you've been forgiven of everything. If you want to walk in your new nature, you better forgive. If you don't walk in your new nature, guess what? That new nature ain't going to rule you. You're not going to live like Jesus. You're going to live a depressed, frustrated, mad, angry, stressful, stress-filled. Come on, somebody. Curse life. And you've been delivered from that. Come on, you, gotta, you, gotta, you, you should frame this on the wall and say, there's my inheritance. I've been written in the will. Some of you would do yourself a great favor. And no, you're not going to cause blasphemy of God by tearing a book, a page out of the Bible. It's paper. It's paper. It's life and breath to those who receive it. But it wouldn't hurt for you if you're afraid to tear something out. Then just go put that right there. The New Testament, words of Christ in Greek. You ought to just take a copy of that, frame that, put it on your wall. Because testament means what? Will. What is this right here? His will. Everything that once you got born again, everything that says you are, guess what that means? I'm written in the will. You ought to look at it every day on the wall and say, hey, I'm written in the will. Praise God. I know what I got. I know who I am. Come on, somebody. Watch this. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another. And boy, do people have complaints against people today. Yeah, now that you brought that up. No, you're not supposed to be living this kind of life any longer. Even as Christ forgave you. Underline it. Even as Christ forgave you. 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 you. Did he forgive you? Underline it. So you also must if you want to walk in the new nature well but pastor this sounds like work let me help you you're going to have to learn to do spiritual work to develop that spirit man to let him dominate to learn who you are understand through the teaching of the word understand through time in the word to learn who you are to put that into practice what I'm doing by walking out what the bible says I now am on the inside is I'm not earning anything I'm learning this is a huge difference This is a huge difference. According to the Bible, am I already holy and beloved? Am I righteous? Justified. One spirit with the Lord. Am I an heir of God? Am I a joint heir with Jesus? 
Do I have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meat, and soul? Do I have all those in me? Yes. All that's already there? Yes. That's who I really am. I am a spirit, have a soul, live in a body. Yes. So I'm not a body. I'm not a soul. I'm actually a spirit. And all that's true of my spirit, man? Yes. Why can I not walk in it? The only reason you couldn't walk in it is because you're choosing not to renew your mind to who you are and to put it into practice. Well, if I got to put it into practice, I'm earning. No, 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 no. Those are things you already are. You're learning. You're learning to walk out who you now are. Amen. We're going to reverse this, man. I'm going to get all the kids out of kids' church back in here when I teach on this again. Because I've told you parents this forever. When your child's born again and they do something that's not of their born again nature, what's the greatest thing you as a parent can start instilling in that child? What's the greatest thing you can instill in them? Let me tell you why you don't hit your sibling. Let me tell you why you don't throw a fit. Let me tell you why you don't ball and squall. You want to know why? Because that's not who you are. Well, man... You should spend some time with my kids and see who they are. No, that's the old nature. That's that old nature. If they're born again, guess what? That's not who they are. What do you got to start telling? Train up a child in the way they shall go. You know what most parents have missed? You've not trained them in who they are. The reason you tell them you don't do that is because that's not who you are. You ever heard these phrases? Chip off the old block. Like, like, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. You know, mother, like that actually comes from Ezekiel. That's in the Bible. And it refers to an aspect of, or, hey, he's the spitting image of. And a lot of times those phrases are referring, not only just looks, but it's referring to characteristics. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, you know what my dad did? My dad told me things that I'm his son that I don't do because I'm his son. You're my son, you don't do that. You don't mistreat elders. You're my son. I catch you mistreating elders. We're going to talk about that in the back. You listening? So when we recognize who God says we are, God's not going to take you to the woodshed. I wish sometimes he would take some of us. But, but guess what? He's not, he's not going to do that. But God's simply saying the reason you don't do those things is because you now need to learn who you are. You're a chip off the old block. We're not talking about your natural parent right now. I'm talking about God. A chip off the old block referred to a statement. There's several different places they say the origin came from. But the meaning was simple. If you had a rock, a piece of rock, and you actually knocked a chip off, guess what? It's still a part of that. And if you put it next to it, you could tell, oh, that's what it matches. That's what it goes to. That's where it came from. Guess where you came from? God. You're a chip off the old block. Start acting like it. But it won't work if you don't renew your mind to who you are. And you're not, you're not earning anything. Guess what you're doing? I'm learning who I now am. I'm learning about the new guy. Wow. I didn't know I was so sweet. Turn your neighbor and say, I had no idea I was as sweet as I really am. Yeah. Turn back and say, you think you're sweet? Man, I'm really sweet. Praise the Lord. Oh, pastor. No, pastor. No, no, no. You should live with them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, you're looking at the natural again. Well, that's the problem. You need to get with them and deal with them to start renewing their mind. I couldn't make them renew their mind any more than God could. If you don't have a desire to be like Jesus, you're wasting my time. You're wasting God's time. Because without that desire, you're not going to do it. Well, there you go. See, so that needs to be fixed in this situation or other one. No, 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 no. God didn't say work out their salvation. He said work out your own. See, what, what a lot of people don't understand about life is you're trying to find this ecumenical lifestyle where everybody loves you and they just like all your posts on Facebook and they just think you're the most wonderful thing since sliced pie. Woo! They're wonderful. They're great. They're awesome. Praise the Lord. And every time they come around you, they just, they just puff you up. Man, you're so awesome. You're so cool. Oh, we just, we think you're the best. Man, you're the greatest. Glory to And you think, well, when that gets to that point where I got all those kind of people around me, glory to God, life's going to be sweet. Let me help you. You're living in a dream fantasy world in this time. You're in a fallen world. That ain't going to happen. Live for Jesus and live a godly life and you're going to be persecuted. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather live a persecuted life for living godly than live a persecuted life for not doing one. Because you're going to get persecuted either way. It don't matter. You still here? 
So you and I have the privilege to be able to walk out this new life, but we got to renew our mind to the context of this new man to figure that out. Notice this, notice this, watch this. You still with me? Come on, you still with me? Bearing with one another, 13. If anyone has a complaint against another, what do you do? You forgive just as Christ forgave you. That's hard. Well, get beyond your hardness of your flesh and say, I'm doing it. Because that's who's in there. And no, stupid flesh, you don't rule me anymore. I don't care if it's hard. I'm going to practice and I'm going to get good at it because I'm going to start walking out the new man. 14, above all these things, put on what? Love. Because if you walk in the love of God, guess what you're going to walk in? The new nature. The new you. Which is the bond of what? Perfection. And then, guess what will happen? You'll let the peace of God rule in your heart. To which also you were called in one body and be what? Underline it. Guess what we've lost today? Thankfulness. Be thankful. Be thankful for what? Thankful for the family you have. Well, you don't know my family. Let me help you. God told me a long time ago when I wasn't real happy with my wife, I don't want you going to bed one single night that you don't earnestly thank me for her. Remember when the day was you were so in love with her, knew that I gave her to you and was so excited about it? What happened to your gratitude, son? Well, well, don't think you don't ever talk like this. Well, God, look how she's treating me. Yeah, you're not very thankful, are you? Like the way she's treating me? No, you're not thankful for her, period. Why don't you start being thankful? I don't want you going to bed any time in your life, one night, as you're dealing with all this stuff without saying, thank you, Father, for Kathy. Let me help you. My flesh wasn't saying, oh, thank you, Father, for how my wife treated me today. It ain't about how they treat you. And you know what God started showing me? You ought to be grateful you got somebody to put up with you. Come on. Oh, come on, man. Are you going to make me get into this again? I am the perfect husband. I'm the perfect husband. Am I the perfect husband? Listen to that. Yeah, she said it. We got it on tape. We got it on tape. So anytime that all of a sudden that doesn't seem to be right, I'm going to bring it up on the deal. Say, see what you said? You're married to the perfect. You know what the perfect husband knows? The perfect husband knows I'm not married to the perfect wife. You know what the perfect wife knows? I'm not married to the perfect husband. You know why? Because there is no such thing in the natural. You're perfected on the inside though. You still with me? Watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm running out of time. I got to come back to this tonight. We got to come back to this tonight. Verse 15, you let this peace of God rule in your heart and be thankful. 16, let the word of Christ, underline it. Let the word of Christ, underline it. Let the word of the anointed one dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Why? Because you're one with him. And we're back to what we talked about in the first characteristics of a disciple is to do what? Abide in the word. See, this won't happen if the word of Christ does not dwell in you richly with all wisdom. I really want to take about 20 minutes to talk about that one statement, but I'm going to try to do it in about three or four. What do you mean I got to have the word of Christ dwelling in me, dwelling in me, living in me, richly with all wisdom? So all wisdom means that you got understanding from God. Wisdom comes from God. Ask of God. He gives to all liberally without reproach. So this isn't referring to just read the Bible and say, well, there you go. See, I've read my Bible every day. That doesn't mean the word's dwelling in you richly with all wisdom. This is what I'm teaching our men this year. How do you dwell in the context? How do you get the word of God dwelling in you richly with all wisdom? You let God speak to you out of it. As you go through it, you let God point things out. You let God reveal things. And as he does, guess what you're getting? You're getting the wisdom of God. And as you get that wisdom spending time with God in the word, guess what happens? It starts dwelling in you. Starts becoming a part of you. See, this lack of fellowship in the word with God Almighty and Jesus Christ is what's hurting most Christians' lives. The word of Christ has to do what? Dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 17, whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you say or do with actions. Do it all in the name of what? Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to what? Get thanks to God the Father through him, through Jesus. Through what Jesus did for you, who he made you to be. You got to put on the new man. I said, you got to put on the new man. In verse three of this uh, chapter where it said, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. I want to bring something out real quick in closing. 
You died and your life is hidden with Christ. The phrase here in the Greek language says, this is exactly how it's worded in the, uh, I believe this is the uh, complete Jewish Bible. Uh, forgive me if I got the wrong quote on the, right, on the Bible I'm thinking of, but I wrote it down. Your life is now enmeshed with the anointed one. Hidden means enmeshed. Hidden here means that you're now what? You're now enmeshed with Jesus. You're one with him. Say it simpler. You're one with him. My life hidden in Christ means I'm now what? I'm one with him. So guess what? I can live like him Amen. if I'll be his disciple. But to be his disciple, number three, what do I got to do, church? As a context of living out, what I'm to do as a disciple, what do I got to do? Take up the will of the Father. How? How do I take up the will of the Father? I got to learn about this new guy. I got to come to church. I got to spend time fellowship with God. Get the word of God dwelling in me richly. The word, actually the word of Christ. Again, look at that. Verse 16. Last context again to this phrase again. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why the word of Christ? Why not just the whole Bible? Because the whole Bible doesn't reveal who I now am. But the words of Christ do. Not just the gospel. Talking about what Jesus did. So he's referring to New Testament. Get this dwelling in you richly so you can learn who you are. I've taught you this many times. If all you had was the four Gospels, you would not know who you are other than you could see a resemblance from the life of Jesus because that's who you now are. But it doesn't directly tell you that. But when you hit the book of Romans and you read all the way from Romans to Revelation, guess what you see over and over and over and over and over again? In Christ, in whom, in him, on and on and on. Guess what that's referring to? Who you now are because you're in him. And that's why God put it on my heart at the end of last year. I was searching everywhere. God, I got to find a devotional that has all these in him verses in it. So I would like to have one to meditate on. And guess what I can't find? I can't find one. I told the Lord, I've searched everywhere I know. I can't find one. He says, you write it. Huh? You write it. Okay. So I'm working on a devotional that takes all of these verses little daily devotional you can go to, read the verse, and a statement based on what that verse is telling you about you. And you can meditate on that truth. Amen. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't learn about the new man, you can't walk in the new man. If you're not walking in the new man, what are you not doing? You're not taking up your cross. Amen. You're still walking under the old lifestyle, which you don't have to. Amen. And thank God, if we can walk in this new man, obviously then we can walk as what? A disciple of Jesus Christ. Last statement, I promise. You ready? So in closing, if you look at everything he just said here, and especially when he started up here in verse, thir- uh, verse 12, putting on tender mercies, kindness, humility. Ladies and gentlemen, it's important to go and learn about what you now are and how you're supposed to live. But guess how you now become that? Guess what? You ready? You ready? This, this is a tough word. You ready? Practice. You begin to practice that. You don't practice the old nature, you start practicing the new. Guess what you're not going to perfect the first time you start practicing walking in love? Walking in love. You're still going to be an idiot sometimes in the sense of not doing what you really are as a new man. And you're going to say some stupid thing you shouldn't have said. Do some, What should you do? Repent. Right? And do what? Practice getting better at that. Now, sometimes we need help. And sometimes your spouse can be a help, but if you're going to take it as correction and them putting you down and them always dealing with you and not changing themselves, then it won't help you. But sometimes it helps us to say with people we love that are around us, if I say something stupid, show me. Well, yeah, you did something the other day. Whoa, wait a minute. Well, I thought you just said. Well, I hear you say stupid stuff all the time. Well, they didn't ask for that help. But if you ask for it, I can see you don't like that idea. <laughs> you still listening? Take up. Take up your cross. How do you take up your cross? How do you take up the will of the Father? Jesus didn't come to do his will. What are you not here to do? The will of the old nature. What are you here to do? The will of the new nature. How are you going to do that without knowing that new nature? You won't. And again, this comes back to doing what? Letting the word of Christ dwell within you richly. I'm going, to say it, I'm going to say it one last time that I've told many of you this. Your relationship with God is everything. If you're not going to have a relationship with God and all you're going to try to do is learn some principles how to fix stuff in your life, it won't stick. You won't stick with it. It won't work. Why? No relationship. No relationship, no true transformation. As you're getting to know Jesus through relationship, this is powerful. As you're getting to know Jesus through relationship, guess who you're really getting to know? You. You're one with him. If I'll get to know Jesus better, guess who I'm going to get to know better? Me. Because I'm one spirit with the Lord. 
Aren't you glad? We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.